Welcome to Documentary Diehards, the show where three sports fans break down one 30 for 30 documentary each and every episode. Ren with Sam and Nick, and we are back, guys. How does it feel? We finally have made our return. I don't know if I remember how to do this, guys. We're back. (laughs) We're back and better than ever, as Greeny would say. Yeah. (laughs) We got to take out an, an ad just with two words, right? Like MJ. <laughs> we're back. We, we make it we're back, though. Yeah. We're. Um, because of some some life events, we'll, we'll try to fight through some internet issues here. I, I'm not sure how this is going to turn out, but it, it's fine. We'll work through it. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, some life events. Some One of us has a child now, so that, that happened. Um, we added another uh, diehard to the crew. <laughs> um, so yeah, we took a little hiatus, but we have returned. Cutest diehard. Yeah, Nick. Definitely a fan favorite. Yeah, yeah, Nick. What's what's going on in your life now? Yeah, our uh, our daughter Adeline is uh, three months old today, so uh, we're enjoying any time that we get all the snuggles with her, and um, yeah, she's getting chunky. She's talking a lot, and gaining strength uh so i like to see that of course <laughs> amazing super super pumped for you guys um yeah what else is going on what how should we talk some national championship just watch that game that was an amazing game sam what do you watch that what do you think i did watch it it was quite the defensive battle early on huh and then um yeah it was super fun to see um stetson what's his last name Stetson bennett Stetson Bennett, what a name, but also, yeah, Stetson Bennett the fourth, a a country club name is what I heard it described as, (laughs) and uh, yeah, it was a really fun game to watch, and I'm glad that Georgia finally pulled it off, what did they say, 41 years since they had actually done it, and it it feels like Alabama does it every other year, so um, it's fun to get some uh, new team celebrating and a a new state celebrating as well, because you could tell the whole state of Georgia was behind them for sure. Yeah, I mean, what's the uh, what's the saying or the stats or fun facts that you know no player has played for Nick Saban without winning a national championship or played four years without winning a national championship, which is just you know crazy, um, you know, obviously to think about. But yeah, I was excited to see Georgia win. Um, it was funny that it was a defensive battle because you know I feel like. You know, every game in the college football playoff is almost a, a shootout. And so it was, it was fun to see that defensive battle. And, yeah, did you guys see uh, Stetson, Stetson's uh, interview on, was it Good Morning America the next morning? Yeah, it was one of those morning shows. <laughs> Poor I, guy, I, I was just... going to bring that up. <laughs> he was, uh, he'd been partying, that's for sure. <laughs> he was celebrating. <laughs> he was so out of, I mean, poor guy, like you got to live that up, of course, but uh, <laughs> whoever told him like, oh, you have an 8 a.m. interview tomorrow. What's the media protocol for that? If you have somebody on an interview who's clearly not functioning very well. Yeah, that was, well, it was a, like a live interview. So that's, you know, stakes are, you know, super high. Um, I don't know that, that, I don't know if there is protocol, but you just, uh, luckily like no, no major mishaps, right? No swearing or you know anything like that vomiting yeah yeah you know brief break you can tell that michael strahan was just Mm. laughing during it he's like how are you doing and And they're uh, asking him all these serious questions ren what's up with you how's uh 
working and being a big media star in the Twin Cities now. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's going good. Yeah. It's another reason kind of why we stopped is started my new job and for about three months in now as well. And it's been going good. Um really happy to be there and yeah, happy to be working in Minneapolis and it's been fun. It, it's so fun to watch all the interviews that you've been doing. Rudy and I geek out. <laughs> we call ourselves the Ren Clayton fan club. Yeah. And we're president and vice president. And uh, yeah, it's been super fun to, to watch you and excited to watch more. Yeah. Which really, we need to, you know, make a, whether it's a Twitter account or Instagram page or Facebook, whatever, we need to make a Ren Clayton Facebook, like, or a fan page. I mean, you got little right. rallies and it'll just be you and <laughs> you two. <laughs> And Ren's family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, they, wouldn't they wouldn't come. <laughs> oh man. No, it's been fun. It's super, it's super fun to be here in town and you know, covering the teams I grew up watching. So that's that's been cool. I was just gonna say, what about the Vikings opening, Ren? Speaking of the local sports teams that you have uh, grown up watching. Yeah, it's what is there like five or six different openings across the league now, and obviously Zimmer now out, Spielman out. There's a couple, there's several GM jobs too, just in uh, tandem with these opening these NFL coach jobs that are open. I don't know what we're gonna see. It's still early, but I feel like they're gonna probably start interviewing GMs very soon. Um, just because if you don't, you're getting behind. People are other teams are doing GM interviews already. Have been. So I think that's going to probably start this week, if not like tomorrow. And then who knows how quickly they'll have to move on on a head coach after they hire a, a GM. But I feel like it's going to be sooner rather than later that the, those two positions will be filled. But I mean, I, I, I don't really know. I, I, I would, my guess, if I had to guess, is we'd see probably an offensive guy since it's been eight years of a defensive guy. Um, but I feel like the roster will be a major shakeup, you know, compared to this year to the next. Even with a lot of the, you know, the stars of the team, it'll probably be different. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I've been reading a lot about, uh, well, first of all, Ben Gessling just reported that like uh, some names for GM candidates, which I don't really know any of them, but uh, sounds like that's happening here pretty quickly. Um, but I've also been hearing, a lot of stuff that are reading a lot of stuff that the Vikings job is like the most highly sought after one on the market right now, which is pretty cool. Um, just because they have a roster that could potentially win right away and a young star in Justin Jefferson. And, and also just like the loyalty that uh, the Wilfs and ownership shows by like being willing to stick it out with GMs and coaches for a long period of time, which isn't very common in the NFL right now. Yeah. I feel like the, uh, the Vikings job is, is, a lot more appealing, like you said, than a lot of other places, just because like there's so much um, conflict within a lot of these other organizations that are, that have openings like the giants, um, like the people talking about their like ownership and stuff that the bears obviously was kind of a mess when they, they released their GM and head coach. And yeah. So, and, and like you said, yeah, the Vikings are probably one of the more talented rosters of these squads with, with the opening. So, It'll be interesting to see. I, I don't really know what to expect in, as far as what we're going to, like who we're specifically going to see get interviewed, but it'll be interesting to, to follow along as that. I, mean, I do think it's going to be sooner than later though. So. All right. Uh, Big Shot is our documentary for this episode 51, I think. I think we left off on 50. 
Big Shot, uh, directed by Kevin Connolly, also narrated by him. He, who I realized afterward is an actor, yeah, most famous from Entourage, which I never watched. But um, yeah, he, he, did, he did the interview, the main interview with, with John Spano in this documentary and directed and, and uh, narrated it. This first aired in October of 2013. So it has been a while now. Anyway, it's about John Spano and his brief stint as the owner of the New York Islanders NHL hockey team. Um, it basically um, covers Spano's, what was four months as the official owner of the team and his fraud as far as, basically his fraud in uh, misrepresenting how much money he was worth, how much money he was gonna be able to pay you know, he bought the team for what, 136,000, no, 136, I don't even know what he bought. 100, 164 million or something. Something like, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, and he was worth like what, two, 200, $300,000. <laughs> he said he was worth, you know, <laughs> 200 plus million. Um, he falsified a whole bunch of documents and made up some crazy excuses along the way to get loans from banks and, and do all this stuff, get through the NHL, you know, vetting process and the the team's vetting process which neither neither of which was very good or efficient effective um it talks about kind of the rise and fall of the new york islanders hockey team they won four stanley cups in the early 80s this uh this incident uh with spano took place in 1996 to 97 i believe and um so it was when the islanders team was struggling and um there was issues with the team the ownership and and things like that and so it was like he was kind of a savior figure and then his fall from grace was quick and uh it just kind of that's kind of the whole gist of it coming from the point of view of a fan of the islanders from long island which is uh the narrator as we mentioned kevin conway and that's basically it uh we'll go to sam first what did, what did you think of this one uh, as we got back into watching and reviewing these documentaries. Yeah, I had no idea about this story, um, but it was definitely a story that was worth a documentary, in my opinion, just because of how absurd um, the whole the whole deal was. Um, and I, it really just made me think about how times have changed and that there's no way that something like this could even come close to happening um, in today's day and age. Um, so yeah, it was it was really fun to hear how the um, the story unfolded and to see his rise and his quick fall. Um, that was really fun. I also loved how they were able to get him in for the actual interview. I think that added a lot to the story, and it also um, gave you a little bit of insight into who he is as a person to this day. And um, he's not a very impressive or honorable man to say the least. And uh, so that was really fun to see. And um, yeah, what did you think of the the whole interviewing and with him, Rudy? Yeah, I mean, first off throughout this whole uh, documentary, I couldn't get over just like three questions of like, what happened? And like, why did this happen? And how the heck did this get pulled off? And I just, just the whole time it was like it was a movie that we're watching that was just like oh yeah this is like uh you know a funny comedy of like something that would never happen like um you know he was just you know fake it till you make it is you know basically it could be the tagline of you know this 30 for 30 as well and um i thought it was amazing that he was on 
no, like in the interviewing, like you said, Sam, um, I don't think he did himself any favors with the interviewing because, I mean, Aaron and I were sitting here and we're still like, oh, he is so unlikable. And just some of the quotes that he had and, and, you know, basically minimizing that he was, you know, creating this illegal act over and over and over. And, and, oh, I was just trying to, you know, own a team. Like what's, what am I doing wrong? And so, uh, so it was very interesting to get into his mind and um and then just in some of the other interviews too and um yeah so it was interesting to hear from his friends too but how about you Ren? yeah i i agree with everything you said the i was surprised when they had an interview with him uh, i guess i probably should have known because maybe they wouldn't have made this documentary without that but when i saw him because they kind of made a reveal they didn't they didn't play their cards until you know i don't know maybe a quarter away or a little less into it but then it was like a reveal that they had him like oh wow um after you know several years after i don't know i guess what yeah a while anyway over a decade and and he he, he you know he'd been to prison and all that stuff he like yeah like you said he didn't do himself any favors he like kept saying yeah i'll probably do it again he said that twice He's like, yeah, I would probably do it again if the circumstances were the same. On, yeah, he's just a psycho. <laughs> um, there was times when he was like trying to be like, oh yeah, like like kind of you know repent or whatever, and come off as like you know trying to reframe his image. And then other times when he was like, yeah, like the complete opposite. Like he he said, what did he say? He, well, besides like saying that he would. He would do it again he was just like yeah like it was like he trying to say that just because it was the nhl was the reason why i was like wrong or like that he got caught and like everyone in business does this or something like that which i mean i don't know but it was it was great the the extremes of it all was so crazy like you know these excuses we can just list off a few of these if you can remember some of them one of them was that some bank was bombed so he couldn't get them their 17 million Another one was that, like, he kept saying, like, all his funds were tied up in offshore accounts and blah, blah, blah. Yep. And he was like, oh, it's chump change for five mil. And then, like, a week later, he's like, yeah, I actually can't get a hold of that kind of money. Yeah, he, he, I mean, he kept sending, like, um, if he was supposed to send $5 million, he would yeah. send $5,000 and then act shocked when the person was like, oh, they only sent over $5,000. He'd be like, what? How does that even happen? And <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he was a creative and he kept, and then he kind of relayed later how, yeah, he was like just staying up all night, just worrying about, about what he was, his next bluff or lie or whatever was going to be. And I hadn't really considered that how stressful his life must be because I was just like, this is a scummy thing to do. But yeah, it must have been miserable for him. But like literally he, he planned this whole thing to be suffering and stressing. So I, I don't know what his plan was, but. It kind of reminded me of like, were you when you guys were kids did you ever tell a lie and then you immediately like regret it and realize it was the wrong thing to do and then it just starts building and building and building and you kind of keep having to lie to cover up the lie and then the lie becomes three lies and you start feeling worse about it and then eventually you're just so stressed out about it you're like all right hands up i did it i'm sorry like i remember a few times in my childhood there's something like that happened and it's like the most frustrating and horrifying experience and that's him but on like a so much higher of a level (laughs) 
totally. There's always weird stories of like one of the guys was like the NHL guys who was when he was trying to buy the stars. Like there's a story about when he didn't pick up the check with all the people, and he's like, the norm is that the the be billionaires or whatever million multimillionaires always pick up the check, and he just he he like just looked at him like they were both like two broke college students and like didn't buy this dinner or whatever and they're like this is something off with this guy and there's a whole bunch of weird stuff like that uh one of the, the quotes from one of the interviews i really liked was it was a lawyer or someone he said he was perceived to be rich because he was perceived to be rich like he uh they were just talking about kind of the convoluted corporate structure that works where if you just kind of play it golf with the nice country clubs and if you know the right people everyone just believes that you're what you say you are and you know you, that you're worth 200 million when you're only worth 200,000 or whatever um and, and I thought that was I was I mean that was kind of one of the big I guess themes of this was just how convoluted the whole system is oh absolutely he just plays golf with a bunch of really wealthy people and owns his own business so everyone just assumes he's really wealthy and then He's like, I'm just going to go buy an NHL franchise and somehow comes, basically does. And, yeah. Which is just absolutely wild. One of the things I was surprised was he, this was his third team that he had tried to buy. Like he had tried to buy the Dallas Stars and then the Florida Panthers. And he, he got close with the Panthers and not really with the Stars. The Stars had realized that he was, there's something up at the very least. And I guess that brings us to the whole vetting process where Pickett, the former owner of the Islanders, just seemed like he just wanted to get rid of this team. Like he was done bored with it and didn't his lawyers and no one really did their due diligence. Neither did the league. Everyone just was kind of, you know, Spider-Man memeing each other, you know, being like pointing at each other. Right. And just saying like, yeah, you did, you vetted him. Okay. I trust you. You trust me that we, so it's just kind of, I don't know, a whole bunch of laziness, it seemed like, and lackluster, you know, research. Um, it's like that uh, written message from uh, uh, Benchwarmers, like the one where it's like, I am 12 in crayon with like a $20 bill. <laughs> and the guy's like 30. And Yeah. He's like, <laughs> I am worth $100 million. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, just the absurdity of this. Do we think, Nick, do you think this could happen today? Obviously, the answer is no. No, I, I don't see how it could. I, I feel like there's too many checks and balances uh, and, and, and not to mention much, much more money, too. But um, I think it's just much easier for banks to be all on the same page and um, credit checks, I would say. I, I, can't imagine they didn't do that, but yeah, who knows? And I think another thing is that communication is so much better and more efficient these days than it was back then. Like you see all the time in old documentaries or whatever, like murder mysteries, how like someone could commit murder and then just move across the country. And, you know, the communication between two those two like states yeah. was so bad. And it's like, even in this documentary, they talk about how... <clears throat> Um, you know, the stars owner, I think, was talking about how he had this feeling that Spano, you know, was up to no good, basically, or couldn't really afford a team. And then nobody <clears throat> on the island has actually reached out to the stars 
owner where today someone would tweet about it or it would get information would get through between or you know open lines of communication would be easier these days i feel like totally it's it's crazy and he spano even said like there was so many different people that i was lying to and if they had it all just talked to each other you know uh then they would have this whole thing would have fallen apart so like if his lawyer had talked to this bank at the same time as the nhl commissioner or whatever everything would have fallen through and there were so many moments when, you know, it somehow worked out for him, like whether it was them believing his BS or, or them not checking up on whatever, um, just a wild. And then the, the, I guess the other big aspect of this is how the fans were clamoring for a new owner. The franchise was kind of depleted and how there was like this hardcore group of Long Island fans um, where the team was based and, and how they were kind of heartbroken and, and, you know, need they first, they loved him. And then they were like, what's happening. And um, just that was a big added element of, of all this. If it was, if it was maybe a different team without fan support, it'd be a little less, uh, I guess, I don't know, interesting or, you know, stakes would be a little less high, but um, yeah. Anything else that, that we need, that we uh, noticed about this doc? Um, just that how ironic or how funny it is that it all went down because he sent something off of his own fax machine to make such a rookie mistake, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, after doing so much fraudulent activity, uh, it was just pretty entertaining to me. Um, I also thought not to get below the belt or anything <laughs> as far as humor goes, but when he had his, like, you know, his, uh, ladies phase, then they were going and talking about all his, you know shenanigans that way one i thought it was very awkward the like um the elevator scene where the two girls were with him and they tried to recreate that scene i mean that was just very interesting i guess uh decision on a, on a documentary perspective mm. um, there was a whole lot of recreations it seemed like in this one yeah like more in that part more than anything and i don't know what the point was there but um, and then I, I loved like how in his in, or like their interview with him I mean he just tried to live it up like you know like yeah I was his, his quote was I, I was going so hard day and night <laughs> like, I know that, that you couldn't plant it any better I guess but <laughs> I, I mean if you've been to prison two times now I feel like you just have you have to just live in those glory days like right he made terrible decisions and he lived like a really cool four months or maybe longer. And yeah. now he's paying for the price and we'll never get that again. But at least he can like recall those memories on a documentary, I guess. The one of the guys that, you know, the, the actors recreating his scenes in the hotel room, one of the guys that they showed like almost like side angle, less like looked way different than him, looked probably way better looking than him. But they, like he had a full head of hair and this guy was, like his I his look was that he was completely balding and it, it was like what, what are you doing is this supposed to be him I don't know that was kind of weird yeah what did we think about the rest of the production as far as I felt like for me it was a little bit long I overall I did like the the conceit of it through the eyes of a fan I think was the right avenue to go but Sam what did you think of the production I completely agree it was too long it was um an hour and 18 minutes. And I think it could have easily fit into the usual 50, 52 minute range that most of these documentaries have, have fit into. Um, it got long and repetitive at points. And there's times where I was like, is there going to be more to this story? 
Um, I mean, it's obviously a crazy story, but it, it just kind of went on and on. And I, I thought maybe, you know, they would find out like years after owning the team or something that um, mm-hmm. he was a fraud and that that would create um, a little bit more craziness. But yeah, definitely a little bit long. The reenactments weren't my favorite thing. I don't think they were super well done either, but the interview with um, Spano really made the the whole documentary better in my opinion. I think without that, like you said, I don't know if it was, would even be produced or made. Yeah. I thought it was long too. Uh, just kind of got old with like stories after stories, after stories, after stories. And so, I mean, sure there were good stories, but um, a little more focus and, you know, different places than I would have put them. But um, overall I thought it was, yeah, like an interesting story, obviously, and kind of like a, like, like I said earlier, how did this happen? Like what happened? Am I fully understanding this? And just crazy to think about something to that scale happening. Yeah. Sam, you mentioned that it was repetitive and that's actually like, I feel like it was coming back from commercial break a lot and they were recapping. I noticed that in some of the lines in the script. Also, like you mentioned, the interview was the most important part that they got, but it also kind of annoyed me and it was frustrating, I guess, was that the interview was done by this Kevin Connolly, the create producer, who was an actor, and he just wasn't really asking the questions how I feel like we deserve them asked. He was wasn't he was going easy on him to be honest. Like he he was like buddying up to him a little bit. Not that he liked him, he obviously didn't, but he he, he wasn't as like he wasn't digging as much as he should have. Though he did get a lot of good stuff. It, I feel like could have gotten more. It really, you know, hammered him with like why'd you do this, etc over maybe a couple more times than just letting him say what he wanted to say yeah I I felt like he um I mean there was like a time where the interviewer was like yeah I would have done the same thing or I would have loved to do what you know what you did and I was like you don't need to butter him up I mean it was like (laughs) is it like he was a little fanboy of this guy too right Um, it would have been nice to have a little harder questions but yeah and and also talk about ask him about the negative impact that this has had on his life. Like, I want to know, mm-hmm. like, how was it going to prison? And like, was it all worth it? And, you know, how did it impact your family? I mean, they get into the fact that he really disappointed his parents, obviously, and put his parents in some financial trouble because of it and, and all of that. But I would have liked to go into more details on it rather than hearing him recap his glory days a little bit more. Exactly. And it, and it's not like it, it seemed like he, he, he got this interview like at that stage, you have rain to ask him a couple more questions, especially the length at which he was talking. Um, yeah, you, you could have gotten some more stuff and probably better stuff. Um, uh, I, I don't have much more. I have one little thing, unless you guys have other things. But at the very end, you know, at the end of documentaries, they often put the texts up and they said, you know, they reached an agreement to move the uh, team to Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. And that was kind of the ending of it. This was produced in 2013. Um, and so that was like one of the big themes was they wanted to keep it on Long Island where all the fans were. So that was like a disappointing ending. Um, actually interesting. Oftentimes in this, in this podcast, seems like we, we have a connection to current events in November of 2021. So a couple months ago, they just, uh, full-time moved back to a new stadium that they built on Long Island in Nassau County. Um, Hmm. And so they had been at Barclays Center for like four or five years or something, four or five seasons. 
and and then now they officially are back there full time in, in Long Island. So I thought that was a cool kind of connection to well, what are the odds of that happening just a few months before we review this after this was made, you know, seven years ago. So um, that's super cool. I had I had no idea. Yeah. And I, I it was also uh, that was one of my favorite parts about the doc, I think, is them talking about like how proud Long Island was to have their own team, you know, mm-hmm. and I didn't know that that's why they were called the Islanders, to be honest. Did you guys know that? I don't think so. No. Yeah. yeah. So another knowledge learned through these documentaries. <laughs> Let's get into it. I'll give my my rating and then we'll go. We'll give you guys a chance. I'm just going to give it a 6.3, 6.3 lazy businessmen, just because there was uh, countless lawyers, accountants, front office guys, owners that were just passing the buck and did a, just a, a terrible job at their job to let this guy get through. Um, so 6.3, because I learned a lot. Like I said, it was definitely too long. Um, and some of the things we said, but um, it, it was a good middle of the road, better than average. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend this one to uh, someone asking for one of my favorite ones, but definitely learned a good amount, which is why I have it at that number. Nick, uh, what'd you give it? Yeah, it'd probably be, you know, fairly similar. Probably a 6.2 is, is what I'm, you know, thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot to think about what my rating would be. Um, hey, we're all getting back into the rusty. swing of things. Yeah, a little rusty. <laughs> a little rusty. So I'm like sitting here like earlier in our um, doc as we're talking. I'm like, oh, where would I put this? And and so similar mind at least, but um, but yeah, just right around a six point two, just for kind of things that we said. I'm right in line with you boys. I uh, I'm actually the lowest. I'm sick. I wrote six point oh four, and six point oh four. shoe fights because there's a point in the uh the documentary where the coach of the islanders um was a former player right Mm -hmm. and he was like an angry player and at one point they show him up in the stands in his full hockey uniform (laughs) beating up a fan and he takes the fan's shoe off and starts beating the fan with his own shoe (laughs) i thought it was incredible yeah basically yeah i'd never seen that before and it was incredible so yeah 6.04 um shoe fights which yeah our total is about 6.1 something which i would say this falls let's see it's got to be right around the middle yeah this falls uh it's about 38 39 range okay so out of the 50 51 we watched yeah all right. It's also fitting that our return was a hockey documentary. If you remember, our first ever was Wayne Gretzky, so who was also featured in this documentary yeah. interview. So uh, it all comes together. All right. Let's move on to our next segment, which is our, um, our Mount Rushmore. And we're doing uh, winter activities. It's winter, dead of winter here in Minnesota. It's the recording on the 12th of January. Actually warmed up today and yesterday, but it's been absolutely cold so I, I had it pulled up i think sam goes first then nick then me and uh sam anderson will let you start off with your favorite winter activity okay so admittedly i've never been a huge fan of the winter so 
some of these are new to me. I didn't start, I recently started skiing um, and I just bought some new skis. And so Hannah's family has a cabin um, in Ironwood, Michigan. And so I'm going to go with skiing. I went for the first time this year um, uh, over a winter break and had a blast doing it. It was a good time. And uh, we're actually going up north again this weekend to ski some more. So I'm going to go with skiing for the first overall pick. I'm going to go with the staying inside. <laughs> that was honestly one of mine. <laughs> Dang. Just on a, on a nice snowy day, just, you know, cozying up under a blanket, uh, watching, you know, TV or, or taking a nap or whatever. Uh, usually watching college basketball for me, but just, just relaxing and not worrying about anything, having to go anywhere or whatever. That was literally <laughs> what mine, mine was phrased, not having to go anywhere. <laughs> um, yeah so instead i'm for my first pick i'm gonna go with snowboarding uh similar to skiing obviously kind of a cop-out but i i have gone only a couple times this year actually went a whole bunch like uh last winter and uh i grew up doing it a little bit but got into it a ton last winter and it's super fun um yeah it's it's a great winter activity and for my second pick, pick, since we're going snake order, I'm going to go with um, something you literally can't, well, you can, but you really shouldn't and never do in the summer, which is having a fire in the fireplace. Nothing like building a fire and uh, warming yourself the old-fashioned way. <laughs> um, um, make sure you- That was on my list as well, Ryan. Oh, nice. Make sure you cover up your, your logs outside, otherwise they'll get saturated with snow and ice that's just a little pro tip not that i have a fireplace in my apartment but <laughs> i need to do that our logs are not covered up outside no. um i'm gonna go a nostalgic pick for this one thinking back to childhood um loved going outside and uh you know creating a snow fort mm. and like you know just laying in there it would take you know, all afternoon just to make something you'd lay in it for about 10 minutes and then you'd go inside but it's enjoyable did you make it out of the the snow plows drifts that they made that's what you used to do uh no well when i'd usually do it in our backyard but um kind of down the street there was a cul-de-sac and then um and then sometimes we would do that with like you know the huge snow pile and that sort of thing so yep we lived in a, on a cul-de-sac and that's what happened is there would be these weird placed massive mountains and then we just carve them out and hope we didn't get squashed <laughs> while we're in there <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> all right i will throw it back a little bit up for this next one too i'm gonna just go with uh, good old-fashioned sledding mm -hmm. which kid doesn't love sledding or tubing down a hill it's so much fun classic and then hmm, i'm gonna go with sipping hot chocolate as a uh as my third pick, especially you go inside after being outside for a while, after like snow blowing or something like that. And there's nothing better than that first sip of hot chocolate. Um, so as you guys know, um, you know, a lot's changed over the last three months. I'm a, I'm a dad now. So uh, favorite dad activity <laughs> is going to shovel. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah, I have a, I have history it's a dad stuff right there. Yeah. And, sure, you used uh, to get compensated pretty highly. Yeah? 
I, I made my way up the ranks. Not the heavy stuff necessarily. I don't like shoveling that, but uh, you know, like a good snowfall. I like I like getting a little exercise in shoveling. I'd say like three or four inches is like very ideal when you're looking in, into shoveling. Like when you start talking eight, 12 inches of heavy snow, then it's miserable. Yeah. But when, when you can just like lightly push it across the driveway, get a little bit of a workout in, right. I agree. Yeah. The next thing, hard attacks, no, or next really thing you're going to say is like scraping your car is your favorite. Like, <laughs> Shape, scraping his family's car. <laughs> Like every dad does every every <laughs> classic dad move my last two i'm gonna go with a snowball fight i'm surprised this hasn't been taken Ooh. um this is an old-fashioned you know winter pastime uh snowballs and i remember a, one of the big worries of childhood was if the snow that was falling was going to be good for making snowballs like it's if it's not if it's you know too dry too light you know too wet not sticky enough so uh, the perfect snowball is quite the achievement and very satisfying as a child. I can't remember the last time I actually threw a snowball, so that might have to change soon. <laughs> and then my last one, um, I'm going to go just like going outside for the first snow of the season, like when there's just a few flakes. It, this is usually in like, I don't know what, December, so it kind of coincides with Christmas time, but you know, it might be November, who knows when it is in Minnesota, but, um, you know, that those first snowflakes after, you know, the summer and fall is always a good feeling, um, even though it might strike a little fear in your heart as well. <laughs> uh, with my last one, it's kind of contradictory to my second one, or my first one, where I said staying inside, but when Aaron and I lived at Concordia after we got married, every big snowfall, we would walk down to Pizza Luce and and we'd like strap our boots on and everything and and just you know trudge through the snow but um i feel like just walking through like a snowstorm or like i don't know it's just peaceful and and uh, hopefully nobody's out but usually it's a lot quieter and and just a pretty time so kind of the same theme uh to yours ren but hopefully that's not just copying you and still valid there you know there is something that's like really peaceful at certain you know um, times when it's snowing it's just so much quieter outside like even when you go run when after a, a nice snow it's like silent yeah it's pretty unusual especially in a bigger city all right i have the last pick and i am gonna go with um making small talk about the weather uh <laughs> Sorry, my because wife. That is, yeah, especially like Rudy's a PT and I'm sure that's all you do. Like, oh my gosh, it's cold out there. Oh, do you see we're getting snow on Friday or this or that? It's It'd constant. Nice unless the wind died down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, especially here, it never ends. And uh, it's pretty funny to take part in. And like I do it anytime I don't have anything else to say to someone. I'm like, oh yeah, it's pretty cold out here today, huh? <laughs> Stay warm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. So it's kind of like the worst, but it also gives you something to constantly talk about. So, or like the, the joke, like, why do we live here again? <laughs> All right. So Mount Rushmore of winter activities. I went with skiing, sledding, sipping hot chocolate, and uh, making weather small talk. 
Rudy went with staying inside, snow fort building, shoveling, and walking through storms. And Ren went through went with snowboarding, uh, having a fire in the fireplace, a snowball fight, and going outside for the first snow. All right, now I'm I'm ready for spring. After after that, we used them all up. We'll okay. be here before we know it. Uh, maybe. Um, maybe. <laughs> knock on wood. Our our last segment, our second to last, I guess, is our. Um, documentary wish list i'll go uh for for this step this uh episode i'm gonna just go with something topical that's been uh in the news recently which is just a documentary how about let's uh produce a documentary about clay thompson's life and career uh obviously he just returned from being out for two and a half seasons basically not playing one of the best players in the nba he he uh obviously what is it two two or three NBA champ, three-time NBA champion. Yeah. 15, 17, and 18. He, he's a five-time all-star, one of the best three-point shooters of all time. Um, he has a brother that was in Major League Baseball. I don't know if he still is. He used to play for the White Sox um, simultaneously with his peak during the Warriors' um, golden era, I guess you want to call it that. He uh, had these two huge injuries um, back to back, just the that's the big drama within what this documentary would be is, you know, the peak of his career gets injured and then, oh, no, injures another, gets injured in another way. And as he's making his comeback, meanwhile, his team becomes one of the worst teams in the league for a season. Um, now they're back. You know, it's just all these arcs and roller coasters that would make for a good documentary. And, you know, he's still got plenty of years left in the league. Who knows what he's going to do? Maybe the Warriors will win the finals again this year. Um, and going along with his familial um, stories, um, Nick, you might know this, but I just was reading. I, I didn't know where he went to college. Do you, trivia question, do you know where he went to college? Yeah, Washington State. Washington State. Number, his, Who is? Yeah, his number was retired recently, fairly recently, within the last couple of years. Washington State, but uh, I just think that'd be a good uh, documentary down the line, and it probably will happen because there's so many NBA documentaries. It seems like maybe there's already a crew following him. <laughs> probably nowadays. That'd um, be really good. I'm in. I'm into that idea. Especially, he's also just one of the most likable superstars in the NBA. I feel like. I think I remember um, his college because I remember when he was drafted. And I had never really paid attention to him in college. And I was like, what good, like who good or how good can someone be coming from Washington state? I mean, why is he supposed to be drafted so high? Yeah. And yeah, he's been pretty good. He's been okay. Yeah. (laughs) Talk about the Warriors is absolutely dominating the draft for many years. Steph Curry taking like what? Eighth or ninth or something. Clay Thompson Uh, in the middle of the first round seventh and then uh well because the timberwolves pass on him twice right (laughs) johnny flynn (laughs) and then wasn't draymond a second rounder yeah which is like incredible like to find that value and especially in an nba draft and later first or second round is insane and then even jordan Poole. i don't know how high of a pick he was but yeah. He's been playing really well with them. Everything came together. Mm-hmm. And they somehow land the second best player in the world with Durant after winning 73 games, and the rest is history, you know? 
Do you still hate them? <laughs> no, I don't know. I now that uh, Durant has removed himself from the Warriors, and now I like both of them again. But mm-hmm. when they were combined, I wasn't a fan. Yeah. Made I the really league liked, not very fun. Yeah, I opinion. really liked the Warriors before Durant was there because I I liked their way of playing basketball more than most uh, NBA teams. Um, and then once they got Durant, then it kind of, you know, went down to a LeBron style where it's, you know, one-on-one, just kind of isolation stuff. But it seems that they're back to kind of moving the ball around a lot. And so, yeah. Well, I mean, they, they, they re- returned to glory because Andrew Wiggins joined up. See, and then they have an, the X, <laughs> X factor, right? Exactly. An all-star. Future MVP. Has to be it. Um, Sam, I, I, we'll give you a minute okay. here if you want to look up our next documentary for our uh, look forward to next week's uh, episode. So we are on episode 56, um, produced in October of 2013. It's the story. It's called This Is What They Want. It's the story of a 39-year-old Jimmy Connors and his unexpected and extraordinary underdog run at the 1991 U.S. Open, where he played as a wildcard entrant and reached the semifinals of the men's singles draw. So that'd be interesting. Never heard of him before, so we will learn something new. At least I will uh, next week. Guys, this was super fun to come to be back, back in the saddle. And uh, yeah, it was great to talk and uh, chit chat more about what's going on. Uh, we have like a, a few minutes. We should talk about. Have you guys been watching anything good as far as like sports documentaries or any documentary or um, or what have you been watching? Games, whatever it is. We just haven't talked in so long that I don't want to. Okay. Yeah, I have. One. I mean, just I forgot that I wanted to talk about the last game of the NFL regular season. What, did you guys watch that? The. <laughs> But what yes. I was hoping would be a tie, and everyone was, and the Twitter was fun that night, but uh, didn't quite get there. The Raiders game uh, in the in – the, uh, not San Diego, whatever, the Chargers, um, almost played to a tie, which would have left out the Steelers and would have been just this insane, you know, eclipse sequence of events, everything coming together. Uh, did you guys watch that? Man, that was fun. It was so fun to watch that. Yeah. And there's like the controversy at the end where um, Brandon Staley called a timeout and they're thinking, well, if maybe if he didn't call a timeout, would they have just kneeled it because they weren't in field goal range? And uh, yeah, it was a fascinating thing. I actually heard somebody on a podcast recently or like uh, yesterday, I think, um, bring up the idea of not allowing week 18 ties, which is like a, a crazy thing to think about, like creating a rule just because of this game, possibly. Ties have really – I thought about that during the course of that game. It's like this never would have happened when ties weren't allowed. Yeah. I, I still don't know if I love a tie in the NFL. I, I'm fine with the long – the multiple overtime games. It does make for some drama, obviously, and has since it was implemented. But I probably would fall on the side of just just do away with the ties. But it certainly was fun. And, and I don't think the timeout really affected it because they weren't lined up to, to – take a knee so there's uh conspiracy theories going around that, that like post game people were saying yeah we would have taken a knee i don't think that's true but yeah it's fun right <laughs> yeah i would agree i think that you know we could do away with ties and in, in the nfl and i feel like 
Um, I feel like the the way that the it was the 49ers when they played the Rams, right? They went into overtime. Yeah, just recently, like this last yeah. week. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I thought I thought they played like a perfect game script in overtime. I mean, they took like they took up seven and a half minutes, I think, on their drive. And so, if you can get a team that has to do a two minute drill just to get down, I mean, then you're at least um, you're forcing them to be you know uh, time constricted with like getting a touchdown at least like they got a field goal so um i feel like 10 minutes can go by so fast at the nfl is what i am trying to say at least so yeah oh absolutely yeah. a couple first downs and runs and it's pretty much over yeah okay. sam anything that you've been watching yes i so i had covid sadly um last week and so i locked myself in my room and watched too much too many things but i watched uh, man in the arena the tom brady documentary um have you guys watched that no i i've been meaning to but i've watched about half of them i think i i think i'm a couple weeks behind now and i think it's i think it's really well done um it was really cool i, I didn't like the patriots dynasty as it was happening i think i was just kind of sick of it and um wanted it to be the vikings i guess but uh, it was really cool to get the behind the scenes and kind of relive those moments and and see the highs and lows of that team and then the other thing that i watched is um bill simmons who helped create the 30 for 30 documentaries uh on hbo he just created a series uh it's called the music box series hbo music box and uh it is like six basically 30 for 30 documentaries about uh, musicians or music events. And so I watched one on uh, the Woodstock of the 1990s and I think it was 1999 and um, it was really, really interesting. And so I just thought it was cool that they were like, that he came up with this idea for music as well. Very cool. Yeah. Our, one of our uh, forefathers on this podcast. <laughs> yeah exactly future guest <laughs> yeah future guest friend of the podcast <laughs> um, very cool guys it was great to be back we're running out of time here on the zoom but um, we'll, we'll be back next week for another documentary as we mentioned about USO tennis um, back, great to be back in the saddle uh, we'll catch you next time on documentary die hard <laughs> <laughs>